0: seated right now. Well, what a great night we're having so far. Absolutely fantastic. And this morning we had uh, Pastor Andy and Pastor Gina with us from uh, Portsmouth Family Church. And we had an amazing, amazing morning this morning. An amazing word. Maybe you weren't here this morning. If you weren't, you can catch um, the podcast, the Preach on Podcast on our website. Please do that. You will be thoroughly blessed. But let's give Pastor Andy a warm welcome. I tell you, we are in for a great blessing tonight. And any children that are still in the service, you want to go to your provision, do that right now. Haley is going back there, so see Auntie Haley waving her hand, and you can follow her, God bless, come on let's give Pastor Andy a huge welcome, hey praise God, well we had an amazing morning this morning didn't we, just the the presence of God when we started talking about being hungry for him, and uh, being hungry, more hungry for him than we're hungry for other things, just an incredible morning, and great feedback afterwards, people just going, you know what, You're right, I'd lost my hunger, but I got my hunger back. Going to begin to turn some things upside down for Jesus again. Well, this is brilliant. What a great turnout when we don't normally have a Sunday night, I believe. That's awesome. Uh, different congregations coming together and just want to welcome you. Good to have you all here. I uh, don't want to do too many adverts. We've got one book with us. Uh, we've written a number of books. This one is the first book that was written by me and Gina. So it's, uh, it's co-written, this one, and it's a devotional book. We're, we're big devotional people. Um, I really believe that it's good to just have... Um, God included in every part of your day and every day and uh, so out of that we just started writing devotionals a few years back, uh, never intending them to become books, just really just to, just to bless some people that were looking for some encouragement during the week and it's a long story and that kind of out rolled into us publishing the first one, Breakfast of Champions 1. And uh, it's just, people love the devotional thoughts. If you like the way I preach, um, you'll love Breakfast of Champions. You know, if you don't like the way I preach and you find me totally offensive, buy a copy anyway and allow me to offend you in the comfort of your own home um, (laughs) each and every morning. And I'll do my very best to do that for you. And uh, hey, I want to give this one to pastors uh, David and Faye, because they've uh, treated us really well there. And uh, there's stacks of sermons that you can steal for um, the next few weeks. We've actually had pastors ring us up going, listen, we've been doing this for a while. We just want to ask your permission now. We've been taking uh, devotionals from your book and preaching them on Sundays. And uh, I said, that's absolutely okay. There's no copyright when it comes to the Word of God. Amen. And the chances are I heard it somewhere where they heard it somewhere. It's just the same truth that goes around. Listen, I want to encourage you, um, I was going to go a different way tonight, I came with a message that was kind of prepared, it's always hard when, when churches contact me before and they say, could we get your verses or your media, because to tell you the truth, I'm a bit of a weirdo. I really don't know what I'm going to speak until I wake up because I like to just, I wake up and I'm kind of, hey, Holy Ghost, what do you want to say today? What are you up to, God? And I have learned that most of the time when I prepare a message, it's a total waste of time because by the time we get to the meeting, I'm like, I've got God tugging me on the corner going, well, actually, I want you to speak about this. So I'm not rude when I don't send any media or verses in. I just don't know what I'm going to be speaking most of the time. And I live from a journal. I'm a journal head, which means just as God's doing stuff. Me during the week and during the month. I just scribble it on down and I find myself these days just kind of preaching from my journal because I found out what God's doing in me often isn't far away from what he's doing in a whole bunch of people. And uh, I think that's how you can keep your message fresh, amen. So we had another message we were gonna be maybe speaking on tonight, and that was really good. You really missed out not having that one. Um, but I really sensed this morning God was really busy doing something with that whole thought of hunger that You know, blessed is the man who hungers and thirsts for God. It's okay to have other other appetites in our life, but the greatest appetite in our life should be the hunger or the appetite we have for God and who he is. But like we said this morning, not just who he is as in, Lord, we want to feel your presence or what you're going to do for me now, God. Because people can have an appetite for God and it can be greedy, can't it? Come on now, it can be greedy, it can be, all right God, here I am again, this is my list of what I'm looking for you to do for me today. This is what I'm looking for this year. And hey, if you were in relationship with someone like that, wouldn't you get a little bit tired of it Though you wouldn't stop loving them? In the same way, I think when we start walking with God, it's okay to be what I call a shopping list people. That, you know, God does some stuff in our life and we're hungry for him to do more. But after an amount of time, we need to graduate and still be believing God for stuff in our life. But also saying, God, I'm hungry to know you more. To, to know you more. Otherwise, we're nothing like a bunch of spoiled kids that are just sitting on the lap of our dad, aren't we? And, uh, hey, I've got five kids. I've got four girls and, uh, and a son. And I know the seasons that we went through where they sat on my lap and I think, oh, here they come again here they come again, all all sweet and love, all smiles, here they come, and they sit on, and you wait for it, don't you, you're like, go on then, go on, and then, dad, and you're like, there you go, it was a setup, you little con man, you little con woman, you set me up again, can we go and do this, can we go and do that, and you're like, and every now and then your kids catch you by surprise, because there isn't an ask, but sometimes you're poised, aren't you? Come on, parents, you know what you mean. They're on your lap, they're loving on you, you're hugging on you. Like, Come on, then you're setting me up. You are tearing me up like a golf ball. And you're like, what do you want? And all of a sudden, they say those words that every parent dreams of. Oh, I want nothing. I just want just to cuddle, Dad. Now, I think if that does a lot for me as an earthly father, how much more does a heavenly father get something out of it when we turn up not wanting anything but just wanting him? and hungry to spend time with him, not with a shopping list. And the Bible says, like we said this morning, when we seek first his kingdom, all other things, he knows what we need, all other things he adds to our life. But first comes seeking first his kingdom, right? Like we said this morning, that word seek, um, if you look at it in its original meaning, it means to crave. Crave first God. Not his hand, but his face and his heart. But then we we started to get onto the subject this morning. That's why I wanted to carry on tonight. About being hungry for his precepts and his statutes. Those are big words. His ways. The things that he wants to do in our lives. The way he wants to do them. Oh, it's so easy to sing that beautiful song, isn't it? Oh, you're perfect in all of your ways. But how many of you have been in a situation where you've said, I haven't got a clue what you're doing, God, and that's annoying me. (laughs) All right, leave me up here on my own. Come on, how many of you, God, I've got your promise, I've got your word. Now, I know that you've promised you would, but this is not going according to plan. Well, my plan anyway. Come on, we don't get God's ways because his ways are often higher, bigger. His ways involve often a number of storylines happening at once involving different people that all comes together at the end in this marvellous chorus of, God, you're awesome. Is it okay if we dig a little bit deeper into that tonight? Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, I'm going to be reading from Isaiah 55. And these are just good verses when we think about being hungry for God and his ways. Making that more than a song. Right, here we go. Isaiah 55, I'm going to start reading in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's good advice, right? Seek, crave God while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and an evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon. Then it says this in verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Well actually that's not theologically that correct anymore because his thoughts can be our thoughts now because the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. So I've got to just kind of bring a little bit of a correction there and say hey we're in the Old Testament reading something written by a prophet that was correct when he wrote it but that's not the case for us anymore because we live living this side of a cross and the Bible says that this side of a cross we're redeemed, we're washed and we're filled with his spirit. Now, if you have the spirit of a person, you have availability to the mind of a person, which means, hey, not just for leaders, if you realize you're spirit-filled tonight, you have the potential to ask God about certain things and hear his thoughts, not just on a stage or from a book or from somebody on a Christian TV show, but in your own heart, every one of you that are spirit-filled, you have the ability to hear God's thoughts in your innermost man. So it would be a crime for me to say, well, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and no one can know them. Because that's not true. The Bible says who can know the mind of Christ. But in the New Testament, it says we now have the mind of Christ. Isn't that awesome? That makes prayer time more exciting when you're praying and you're saying, Lord, I ain't got a clue what to do. I'm stuffed. If this goes on like it's happening, we've had it. God, would you give me your wisdom Well according to the Bible if you wait and listen and believe that prayer is a two-way communication you have the ability to hear God speak back through his word but also through his spirit that now lives in you because you are a vine, he's the branch, his life is your life, his nature is now your life you have a temple of the Holy Spirit and God doesn't want to be a silent visitor but you've got to understand some of those thoughts you think they're not yours, sorry I'm talking about the good ones, not the bad ones or the wicked ones. Hey, this whole thing about women's intuition. Yeah, get over yourself. Most of it's the Holy Ghost. Oh, you didn't like that one, did you? Hey, he's speaking continually through his spirit that now calls us home. Let him who have ears, let him hear. But the next bit remains true. So we've read it. It said, so my thoughts are not your thoughts. But then he says, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. That still remains so true in my life, I don't know about yours. When God promised me, promises me something, I think, right, this is how you're going to do it. This is who you're going to use. This is when it's going to happen. And normally, like a hundred out of a hundred times, I'm completely wrong about who, when and how. But I'm always left going, your way was better. Because he's perfect in all of his ways. But sometimes when you're journeying in his ways to the fulfillment of a promise or the manifestation of something he said he would do, now the bottom line is if God said he's going to do something, he's going to do something. God's not a man that he would lie. When God promises, when God gives you a word for a situation or a promise for a situation, listen, you could blow yourself up trying to work out how, when really you shouldn't, you just need to get confident that he will. And I think Christianity becomes a lot more relaxed, a lot more stressless. Now I can remember, you know, I was, I was uh, me and my family, we came to, came to Christ, I was about nine years old. Um, we'd sold fruit and veg for a living, we'd lived in pubs, that's what we did, that was our life. And suddenly my mum and dad's marriage broke down and, and my dad was a pub man, he'd never ever uh, gone to church, he'd never prayed or anything, and one day his wife left him, it was my mum, and um, she she left the house and he he had a nervous breakdown. That day when I was nine, my dad prayed two prayers not knowing God. If there's a God there, bring my wife back and she will not come in home and heal me because the doctors had told him that he needed to give away his fruit shops. He would never work again. In 24 hours, my mum was back knocking the door saying, I don't know why I've come back. And the doctor was saying to him, throw away your tablets, you're of sound mind. I don't know what's happened to you, but you're able to run business again. That's before he even knew God. So they sat on the couch after 15, months of, 15 years of marriage and said there's not an ounce of love. That's why don't tell me if your marriage is in crisis that God can't. Don't tell me that. Because I saw my mum and dad and after 15 years there wasn't an ounce of love between them. But they got on their knees and they included a third party. And when he stepped into their marriage, what I witnessed for the next 25, 30 years was a love affair that was incredible until my mum went off to join God about 10 years ago. But we were raised in a Pentecostal church from the age of nine to 16. A little bit of a testimony for you. At 16, I I did the mistake of the idiot. I I thought that the world had more to offer me. So I walked away from church on my 16th birthday and said, I'm never coming back. I don't want anything to do with God. And I walked away from God completely. Now, my mum and dad, They didn't like that, obviously, but they wouldn't have any control over that. And I can remember they did everything to get me back in the church. They did everything. I know why I'm sharing this testimony. Maybe it encourages a mum or a dad and your kids don't seem to be walking straight at the moment. I don't know. I just sense I need to share this. But they did everything to get me back to church and everything they did made it worse. And one day they came to the end of the road and they said, God, we can't do anything more Every time we do anything, it gets worse. And this is about two years in from me being away. And in the middle of that, God gave him a promise. And the promise was simply this. Both your sons will be taught of God. And great will be their peace. Now, you don't want to know how impossible that looked. Not for my brother. He was always goody-two-shoes for me. I mean, he had the education. I had the common sense. He went to school. I sold fruit and veg. But I was good at it. I was gifted with common sense. But they started to pray, and God gave them that word, both your sons will be taught of God, and great will be their peace. They thought that the next week I was going to come rolling into church, backflipping, I'm home, Lord. Year three, year four, year five. And every every year I got worse. I mean, I got worse. I started doing things that I'm so embarrassed I would not even mention. I went from one degree to another, getting worse and worse. But you know what? They stopped stressing out and they just started to point to heaven and said, You promised. You promised. You gave us a word for this situation. We've run out of guessing how. We've run out of thinking how. We just give in. We sit back and we trust you knowing that you're faithful. On the eighth year of me being away from God, suddenly I was in a meeting and the power of God hit me. And in that moment, every demonic thing that had held my life was shaken from me. I was radically born again and I've been going for God full speed. You know, it's amazing that God gives a promise. And you need to understand, listen to how it reads on. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that you would seed for the sower and bread to eat. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. And it will accomplish what I desire for it to accomplish. The reason why I sent it. Now this really gives hope to me. But I may not understand the ways of God. In fact most of the time we don't if we're honest. Most of the time we're walking around situations where he's given us a promise given us an assurance of something, but then we get all bent out of shape because it's not going according to the plan we had, when actually we should be more relaxed because faith should relax you and cause you to say, God, you promised. This is the promise you gave me. That's why when anyone ever comes to me with a problem, I always say, have you got a promise from the word of God? Now, I know it's old school, but it works. Well, no. Well, why haven't you got one? What are you talking to me for? Go and talk to God and get a promise in his word, this is old school Christianity, for the situation you're facing because there's every chance as God begins to unfold his ways you're going to get more confused unless you're standing on a promise because God does things in different ways like it says already his ways are higher than our ways. I can remember when I first started reading that, I thought it was a statement in the Bible for putting me in my place. I remember when I first reading that and I used to hear pastors preach it, it was almost like they were preaching, all right, me God up here, you down there, little Dinlo. Me, big thing, you little thing, you idiot, me in charge. But that was wrong preaching because it's actually an invitation. I remember one day I was reading it for myself. And I read it as it was written. It was God saying, hey, my thoughts are higher. My ways are higher. Come up and join me. Come up and join me in the way that I think. But when you begin to come up and join God in his ways, suddenly things don't make sense to the soul or the reasoning of who you are. But God never said he would. It's amazing. I was just writing down. I was scribbling this stuff before I came out tonight. Talk about fresh pancakes. You don't get fresher than that. And I was thinking, well, it's so often the reason that we get disappointed, disillusioned, bent out of shape is because God's not doing it our way, he's doing it his way. Come on, when God gives you a promise, you know what we're all good at and we can't help ourselves is we begin to say, all right, all right, all right, let me help God out a little bit here. Now I've got this covered he's going to use that person, they're going to to turn up on this day and it's going to turn around like this and then suddenly a week after when we thought it would happen, it still hasn't. When the person that was going to be used in our thinking isn't used and they move to another country and we start to do something so stupid, we start to shake our fist at God as if we had the right. And we start to say, you've let me down. And I just can imagine what it's like for God in heaven when he said, listen, I gave you a promise, but I didn't say I was going to use that person. You did. I didn't say I was going to do it on that day. You came up with that all on your own. All I said was, take it to the bank. I am going to do this in that situation in your life. And then you ran off. This would be God feeding back to us. You ran off and picked who, when and how And I didn't agree to any of that stuff. It was you. And now you're getting bent out of shape because I didn't do it your way. Listen, I never said I'd do it your way. I'm going to do it your way. Because God's ways are always better. Now think about this. Now, I often think with the miracle of Moses and the parting of the ocean, what would I have done? How would I work that out? And this is a great example. If that was me and I was Moses on the edge of that impossible lake or that seemingly impossible situation and I had to get me and a nation of people from this side to that side, you know what my way would have been? Bridge. (laughs) Tunnel. Boat. uh, Helicopters. But let's just stay with the idea of a bridge. That's a good idea what does God do? He parts the ocean. None of the above parts the ocean. And I'm like, well, that's a little bit extreme. I wouldn't have done it that way. But then I realized God had a bigger plan than the bit I was in. You see, my plan was to get the nation to the other side His plan was to get the nation to the other side and drown every captor so that they could never be made slaves again. So when he parted the ocean, he wasn't just making a way for the children of Israel. He was making a plan for drowning every captor so that they weren't free, but they were free indeed. Now, can you see the difference between his ways and my ways? My ways would have gotten free His ways got them free indeed. Is that okay we have a little bit of fun tonight? Because when I think about us getting confused by God's ways, there's really nothing new, is there? In fact, most times when I read through the Bible and I read a storyline, now stay with me, stay with me, most times when I'm reading through a storyline... How many of you have actually read one of those crazy stories in 2 Kings or 1 Kings and turned around when God did something supernatural and gone, I knew he was going to do that. Come on now. I read the Bible in awe. I'm like, get out of here. I never saw that coming. It's such a fun book. I'm like, what's he going to do next? And he does something completely different to what I ever imagined. But in fact, isn't that the God of the Old Testament? Isn't that Father God of the Old Testament? Now think about it. In the Old Testament, we have story after story of God making a way or doing things for people that no one could have imagined he was going to do. Let me give you a couple of examples. Time's time's short, so just stick with me. Alright, you borrow an axe head from your friend. Alright, you're chopping down a tree with his axe head and all of a sudden you're chopping a bit passionately the axe head comes off flies off the top of a stick goes into the river into the water now in those days they cared these days if someone bor- borrows um uh, borrows a mower and it breaks they're just like sorry your mower broke in those days they cared and they said look we're going to give it back or we want to give it back as we borrowed it so this guy's lost the axe head And he can't give it back to his friend. So he goes to the prophet. And what does the prophet say to him? Throw a stick in the water and it will float. Come on, that's amazing. Who would have ever thought about that? Throw a stick in the water and the axe head will float. You're like, that's incredible. All right, what about this one? Because I want you to see that God's ways are not your ways, but his ways are better. And if he was the God of unusual ways in the old and in the new, why won't he be the God of unusual ways in the now? If he was unusual through the ministry of Father God and unusual through the ministry of Jesus, why would God change his way of doing things and not be unusual to us in the situations we face with the Holy Spirit now? Everybody with me? All right, prophet needs taken care of. My ways, send him to a rich widow. I think that's fair. God's ways, send him to a broke widow. And you can pick Elijah or Elisha, either one of them will do. Send him to a widow that's just making a little Scooby snack and getting ready to die with her son. And send the prophet and say, feed me first. Or ask the woman that's got nothing to pour a little oil. That's, come on. God is unusual. I want to encourage you God hasn't promised you how he's going to do it, when he's going to do it, or who he's going to use to do it, but if he's promised you he's going to do it, you have more certainty than the promise of a bank manager, all right, okay, so we look at Father God and we have instant after instant, but what about when we look at the ministry of Jesus, is there anything any different there, all right. How to heal a blind person 101. If this isn't unusual, I don't know what is. So you've got the disciples, and they're like making it up as they go along. They haven't got a clue what's happening. When people are saying to the disciples, what's he going to do next? They're like, we don't know. We really don't know. We're real time with this. We're just going with it. We haven't got a clue. And so... Let's just flick through the Gospels. There's many stories I could pick and keep you here all night. But let's just just grab a couple. How to heal a blind person 101. Formerly, it involved prayer and religious prayers and, and anointing oil and all manner of things. But when God the Son is on the earth, Jesus Christ, they bring him a blind person. This is the bit I love first off. This is the bit. They bring him a blind person and Jesus says, what can I do for you? I love that. And I'd be like one of those chirpy disciples, "Um, Jesus, he's blind. I would, that would be me. I'd be like, always trying to help out wherever I can. I'd be like, he's blind, Lord. Lord, He's blind. Can't see. What can I do for you? He wants you to pray for his eyes. And Jesus would be like, Andy, go away. Go away. And so the blind guy goes, I'm blind. And so the blind guy's here, right? The disciples are all over here thinking, well, he's going to pray for him or maybe sling a coat over him or something. I don't know. And so Jesus goes up to the blind person. And the blind person's just on his knees and he's just kind of waiting. And the Pharisees and the religious people are standing around. And all the blind person knows is he hears this next. <laughs> Sorry, I'm from the wrong side of the tracks. I know you're posh in Newport. <laughs> 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 and so the blind person's like, "What's that? And the disciples are like, why is he spit on the floor? I don't know. I've never, never seen this one before. This is new. They'd seen the, the wet finger in the ear a few days earlier with a deaf person. But this was a new one. This is like, to, now this is your God and you think... I think I understand all his ways. No, you don't. You haven't got a clue what he's going to do next. And that's what makes him God. Now, what my critics hate is this story is true. You you read it, it's happened. And so the blind guy's like, What was that? And his friend went, It was spit. (laughs) Who's spitting, pray tell? The master. Oh. And the next thing he is, is this grindy. (laughs) What's he doing? He's making paste out of the spittle. For those that like a little bit of King James on a Sunday night. He's making paste out of the spittle with spittle and dust. Looks like pesto. And then there comes that moment where Jesus takes this miracle paste that he's made. And he's going towards the guy's eyes. The disciples are like... He's not. He's, he's, can you imagine what it was like? You've got the blind guy, he has not got a clue what's about to happen. You've got the blind guy's friends, like, highly disturbed. You've got the disciples going, No, I think he, no, he's going to, isn't he? No, he isn't. And they're pushing their way back. And Jesus goes and whacks it in his eye, like a, and now he's like a panda. He didn't see that coming, I'll tell you that for nothing. He's like a panda. He's still blind, but now he's blind, and he's got these two big spittle and clay marks on his face, and he still can't see a thing. The disciples are like, this is wrong. One, one of them must have gone, this is wrong. This is, one of them must have like, this is wrong. No, no, then Jesus says, this helps, doesn't it? Go and wash. All right, let's just... Let's just catch up with the storyline you spat on the ground you made paste out of spittle and dirt you've rubbed it in my eyes nothing's happened and now you're saying go and wash at any point he could have got offended yet as he went to wash a miracle happened and i don't know how that works but all i know is god's ways are higher than ours they don't make sense and if we don't get offended and stick around, it will be amazing what we could see. All right, let's, let's go. Because some of you are like, oh, there's a random story you picked. All right. Um, raising a dead person 101. There's a whole bunch. I could stay here all night with my imagination. So, okay, they turn up. They turn up at the grave of Lazarus or the tomb of Lazarus. He turns up and, and, and the person says to him, you're late. What is late when someone's dead? Are these questions you ever asked? I mean, what is? Like, you're a couple of days late, a couple of hours and you're stuffed. But he turns up, and again, you've got all the Pharisees, the disciples, like, I don't know, we're up with the ear healing and and uh, this is a whole new level. And people are saying, what is he going to do? I don't know, we were at a funeral yesterday and he stopped the possession and pulled the kid out. We don't know what to say to you. And then Jesus just strolls up to the entrance of the tomb. You don't know he didn't walk like that. You don't know. Some of these things will not be proven until we're in glory together. Could have been exactly like that. Could have been so spot on, it's scary. And he walks up, and you've got the Pharisees, they're like, oh, we've got him now, we've got him now, this is it, this is the moment we take him. We've got the Pharisees like... We're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. Something's going to go wrong. Just please, oh no. And then you've got Jesus standing in front of a tomb. And he he says, Lazarus, come on out now, mate. (laughs) Sorry, you've watched a lot of Hollywood here in Newport. (laughs) Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) Now this this is bonkers. Now please forgive me for having an imagination and not being scared to use it. Lazarus hasn't got a clue that he's died. He's not got a clue that he's died. Some people have wrapped him up and put him on a shelf. Because if you do Israeli studies like me, you know, he wasn't in a tomb in the ground. He was in a tomb, like a cave, on a shelf. Now, no one told Lazarus this. It's like everybody has all these kind of ideas of, you know... Oh, Job should have done this. Yeah, Job didn't have an idea what was happening at the time. But Lazarus, he's laying on this tomb. He doesn't know he's dead. And he doesn't know he's wrapped in all this clothing, this death clothing, even his face. And he's just there like that. And he hears his friend, Lazarus. And he's like, oh, and this is unusual. Where am I? Mm, I'm wrapped up. I must have died. I told them I was sick. I told them. They didn't believe me. I knew I was ill. I was dead, but now I'm alive. This must be it. And he goes to move, not knowing he's on a shelf. Boom, he's on the floor. And he's like, "Hmm. I wonder where I am. Be helpful if I could see. <laughs> and eventually all he can hear is Lazarus come on. <laughs> and eventually, like a like, like a caterpillar who gets himself up against you've never heard the Bible put this way, have you, isn't it? Alive. <laughs> and all he knows is it's he can hear Jesus from that direction. Now, meanwhile, outside the back cave, you've got Jesus. And you've got the Pharisees and everybody, and they're all looking at this black hole, thinking Jesus has just done himself, Uh, he's sunk himself, it's over for him. And they're all looking, and Jesus is just kind of looking. The disciples are like sweating, the Pharisees are rubbing their hands. Then all of a sudden, now again, you might have seen Hollywood, and you might have seen this moment when Lazarus comes out and looks something like this, like there's a... (sighs) Nothing like that what actually happened if you study the word like I do they're all staring there and now comes this guy <laughs> <laughs> and he's bumping off the walls now imagine everybody outside the tomb sorry if I've ruined the holy moment but they're all like you know, not see that every day wow look at that and so Lazarus is like speak again, speak again <laughs> And you're like, you are outrageous. It never happened like that. Yes, it did, because the very next words that Jesus said was, loose that man and let him go. (laughs) Loose that man... That's exactly what happened. And everyone was left going, that's unusual. Listen, God was unusual in how he answered prayers and how he did things in the Old Testament. He was unusual with how he undid things and did things in the New Testament through his son. If that was God in the Old and God in the New, what about God in your now? Why are you trying to work him out? Why don't you just believe if he's promised he's going to do something for you? If you just get hungry for his ways and stop saying, I need to know how, I need to know when, I need to know who. But just sit down and trust God. And say, Lord, you promised. You promised. You promised. All right, here's another quick one for you. Because I can see I've got your appetites. (laughs) Lord, we need to pay our tax. Disciple says to master. They're after the tax. Nothing changed, right? Now, if that was me again, my ways, I would have gone, boom, money tree. There you go. No, 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 Jesus, go catch a fish. Any fish. Catch a fish. Any fish. And in its mouth would be, just give me the money everything he did he was teaching throw your net on the other side they could have got offended and said all right very good advice you carpenter us fishermen go make a chair (laughs) would have been reasonable but they dared to believe even though they didn't understand They dared to trust him. Faith is trusting God. Faith is trusting God, not just when you understand, but when you don't understand. Faith is trusting God when you've worked out or you think you've worked out what he's doing and how he's going to do it. No, faith is trusting God when you haven't got a clue. But with confidence, you can stand and sing, My God will make a way (laughs) where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see my God he'll make a way for me that's when faith rises in your heart his ways are different to our ways in the old in the new and in the now why do we get so bent out of shape moaning and grumbling because he hasn't done it when he said he would do you know that there is two words that are recorded to describe time One is Kairos and one is Kronos. We live by Kronos. Kronos is calendar time. it's, it's, It's quantitative. It's weeks, minutes, days. That's what we've been raised from birth to understand, isn't it? Kronos. What's the time? What month? What week? When's Christmas? When's your birthday? August the 5th. Everything we do is set around this Kronos time that's actually quantitative. It's about minutes and moments. But the problem is the Bible or or the English language and the Latin recognize another word for time. And it's kairos. And kairos isn't um, a quantitative, it's qualitative. It's the perfect moment. Kairos is the perfect moment. All right, how can we put this into plain English for some of you? The man from Del Monte, he say yeah. That there isn't a day in the calendar... For when corn is ready to pick there's a moment when the farmer says now that's kairos now the problem is we try to understand God by chronos it's quarter past three on Wednesday the 23rd and God hasn't got a watch or a calendar he's got a photo of me on his fridge but he's got one of you as well so don't get bent out of shape it's a big fridge God isn't going by a lunar calendar or a 12-month calendar. God lives by kairos. Kairos isn't any specific moment, hour or week. It's when the moment is perfect in the fullness of time. Christ was born of a woman to save the human race. That was the perfect moment, not quarter past three on a Wednesday. But when we start to approach God, everything in our approach is about a week, a month, a year, When God's going, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to do for you what I said I'll do for you in the perfect moment. I'm going to do it because I'm not a God that I would lie. Man, when we get a confidence of this, do you know how much we can begin to, when we get hungry for God's ways, when we begin to trust God, how easy Christianity gets. Do you realize the whole thing of Abraham and Sarah really wasn't difficult? Anyone that's had a baby says amen it wasn't hard it wasn't rocket science God comes to Abraham and says Abraham listen here's my word to you I'm giving you a child born of your body to Sarah now he believed that he could have a child he just didn't believe that Sarah could have one because he went looking elsewhere for somebody to help but if he'd listened to the word God had clearly said, I'm going to give you a child of your own body by that woman. Now, what did Abraham have to do? Now, you've got to bear in mind, he's over his 70s. She's old. Not only is she old, she's barren. She's never had a kid. She can't have a kid. Everything looks impossible. And I love this. Abraham does exactly what most of us would have done, apart from a couple of superheroes. (laughs) He's got the promise, I am giving you your child. Instead of sitting back and just going, thank you, Father. You've promised that you're going to... Because you've got to understand, when God gives us a promise, here's something I've learned recently. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. But when God gives a promise, not when you make one up, when God gives a promise, he's the author of that promise, but he's also the finisher of that promise, which means if he said he's going to do something, he doesn't need your help. If he needs it, he'll ask. But in our performance-driven upbringing, we don't like that. And Abraham was the same. All Abraham had to do was just to relax. But no, he couldn't help himself, could he? He starts to do what we would do. All right, baby, 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 nine months, nine months. He starts to talk to his wife. Well, I don't think you're much of a hope with that, so uh, what are we going to do? And suddenly, suddenly, Sarah turns around and goes, oh, I've got a plan. Why, why, don't, why don't you sleep with my young, handma- young handmaiden? Why don't you sleep with my... And he's like, oh, no, I couldn't. <laughs> All right, then. I mean, this is what we do when we don't trust God. We start doing things our way. And he says, oh, we need a baby. And she says, why don't you sleep with my hand? Oh, no, no, I couldn't, missus, I couldn't. Oh, all right then. (laughs) And suddenly they produce a baby that's still causing worldwide results and ramifications today. That baby was not meant to be born. Then what should Abraham have done? Just saying you're perfect in all of your ways, Lord. I don't know how you're going to do this. I know who you're going to use. Do you know all he had to do was walk into the tent with a bit of a swagger. Walked in to where Sarah was. Looked at her. Hey lady. You lady. Don't just walk away. Spun around. Lady. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Lady. And then the rest, you know, because faith without works is dead, would have carried on. And <laughs> then nine months later, like a burrito being warmed in a microwave, ding, baby as promised. Well, that's not true. Yeah, it is, because God did it anyway. Even when he had a child by another lady called Ishmael it's like he's holding the baby I got the baby then also God says well here's the one I promised you <laughs> bit of wisdom I've learned over 25 years stop making Ishmael's they are a pain in the neck they cost you your heart your money and everything when God's promised you something hold on and wait for what is promised don't try and work it out. Don't shake your fist. There's people here tonight, and you're going through situations. I sensed it this morning, and some of you are here tonight, and you're like, "I don't know which way to turn now." Have you got the promise from God? Yeah, I've got the promise. Sit down and start to thank God for what His promise coming apart. Begin to trust Him. This whole thing called Christianity, it's built around one thing. God wants us to trust him. God wants us to trust him. Not when we've worked out who, when and how. I actually think a couple of times I worked out who, how and when. And God went, you're cheeky, you are, and changed the whole plan. (laughs) I can't prove that till eternity. But I'm pretty sure a couple of times I got close. And God went, No, 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 no. Let's keep you guessing. And changed the whole plan. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He still works in ways you cannot see. Your God will make a way, you see. He's not a liar. But if we're going to sing songs like Perfect Are All Your Ways, we've got to get ready to let go of some of our understanding. Because the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not to your own understanding or reasoning. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. He'll direct those paths. That's easy to say. It's not so hard to do. It's harder to do on Monday morning. Listen, I'm just conscious today that there's people here that are going through real situations. And listen, let me encourage you. Don't look at me and think, nothing goes wrong in your world. Yeah, it does. Me and my wife have been through and we're going through things we don't understand. Don't ever look at a pastor on the stage and go, yeah, I wish wish you had a problem one day. We do. Because we're just like you. We're flesh and blood. We put our trousers on the same way. Stuff happens to everyone and excludes none. Me mean, my wife just came through a six-year episode where we were trusting God without any evidence for something. And in January, he came through. In year one, year two, year three, I was thinking, bit late, Lord. <laughs> year four, have you forgotten me? But God knew the day. He knew the Kairos. We've got things in our life now with our kids and with our world and things we're trusting for. Just like you, where we have no evidence, but we have a promise. And I just want to encourage you, we're no different. Like you, we're standing before God saying we don't have to understand how or when. Because if you've told us or you've promised us something with your word, we can do what Abraham didn't. We can just sit back and know that you are the author and you are the finisher of our faith God we trust you without knowing how God we trust you without knowing when oh we have our hopes hey if you're believing God for anything your hope is tomorrow right but you know what in those six years when me and my wife were believing for something we look back over those six years and to be honest if you said to me you wish it didn't happen I'd say No, I'm glad it happened. I don't want to do it again. I'm not an idiot. But what God did in us, what God did in us and what God did through us in that time of waiting. You see, faith is basically you entering a corridor trusting God. Before every story in the Bible when a promise is given and a promise is manifested in the life of a person, I've learned to call it the corridor of faith for the person steps in and just trust God and they walk by faith and not by sight God you said God, seeing is believing you know I don't need to see it to believe it God you've said I've got your word then one day whether you're Joseph or whether you're Abraham or whether you're Moses there comes a day where you step out of that corridor and God's done good on everything that he said he was going to do But I want to put to you, members of the jury, as we close tonight, what we don't understand is God doesn't have a delay for nothing. It's what he does in us in the time called wait. It's what God does in us in the time called hoping. It's what God does in us with things like patience, long-suffering, trusting. There's actually the real gold that he has for our life. God isn't interested in what he's giving you. He's more interested in what he's doing in you. As you walk, trusting him, believing him, saying, God, you're not a liar. You're true. Did you get something tonight? Listen, I want to pray for some folk tonight. Just God knows where you're at. And to have this amount of people in the room means that there's a whole bunch of people that are going through things right now. I hope you're not just going through things. I hope you've got a promise of God and you're trusting God in those things. And I want to agree with you tonight that your faith will rise afresh. That you would begin to say, listen, God, I trust you. Simple. I trust you. For that wayward child, you did it to Andy Elms, you'll do it to my son, you'll do it to my daughter. I trust you. For those finances, God, you know how tight to the mark this is. I trust you. The main question is, make sure you've got a promise. So I want to encourage you, if you're going through something today and you haven't got a promise from God, talk to your pastors, get into the word, get a promise from God for what you're going through. Because then you have confidence to approach the throne room of grace in a time of need. Do you know one of the things parents hate to hear, but God never, never hates hearing? Dad, you said... Hey, i got five kiddies and it's amazing sometimes when I'm full of energy and stuff, I'll say to the kiddies, let's go over to park and play basketball and let's go kick a ball around. And it feels a brilliant idea in the moment I'm in. But later that day when they come to cash in on the promise, I'm laying on the sofa. <laughs> Dad, you said we were going to go play basketball. You said we we're going to kick a ball around. Yeah, I'm not feeling like I was when I said that. And you start to wheedle out. How about tomorrow and we'll add some sweets? And then all of a sudden, the child pulls out that contract. But dad, (laughs) you said. On earth, we hate that contract. Because that contract will get me off of the couch and get me kicking a football in half a dream world. But you know what? God in heaven, he says, pull the contract on me. Pull the contract on me. Come on, child, pull the contract on me. Don't tell me about your whining. Pull the contract on me. Pull the promise on me. Right now, stand before me and pull the promise. And when you do, begin to stop trying to work out who, how, and when. And just say, you will. Hey, just my every eye's closed in this place. Maybe you haven't got a walk with Jesus. Maybe you've never walked with him, never given your life over to him. I'm going to pray two prayers this morning, this evening. One is for anyone that doesn't yet know Jesus, that you would receive him as Lord and Saviour tonight. And the second prayer is going to be for anyone that's going through something. and you say, good fun tonight, Andy, but you made some really strong points. I hear you. I hear what God's saying through your message tonight. Will you stand with me, that I could just trust God patiently, knowing he'll come through? So firstly, let's just pray this prayer together, this prayer of salvation. Will you pray it with me today? Everybody all together after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross, to save me, to give me new life, to give me fresh beginning. I believe in you, Jesus, and I give my life to you today. Come and live inside of me by your Spirit. My life is yours. Amen. Just my every eyes closed, every head bowed. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus or you've been away from Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. It's not for me, it's for heaven. The Bible says that when we believe in our heart and make a confession, it's unto salvation. Heaven's looking tonight. God's looking tonight. And he wants to know if you meant that prayer. If you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer or that was the first time or you've been away from God, I'm going to count to three. And as I count to three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. As you lift your hand, you're just confirming that you prayed that prayer for you tonight, for your life. You want God to step in. You want God in the driving seat. Just as I count to three, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand if that's you. Just my every eye's closed. One, two. Three. Hey, God bless you. We got three, four in the front of five. That's awesome. Six, seven. Anybody else today you say, yeah, me too, Andy? Number eight. Anybody else says number eight? Hey, brilliant. It's about God seeing your hand, knowing that your heart meant it. There's eight. Is there a ninth person? Is there a ninth person you say, yeah, me too, Andy? Good job. I need God. Is there a ninth person? Hey, God bless you, number nine. That's phenomenal. That's awesome. Oh, come on. We're so close to number 10. Is there a 10th person today? And you say, yeah, Lord. All right. You've got nothing to lose. Come on, let's face facts. You've got nothing to lose. You've got everything to gain. Everything could change in this moment when you allow God in. Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray for these nine that have responded today. You've seen their hearts. Their names are in the Lamb's book of life. They're yours. Hey, if you lifted your hand up and somebody didn't give you a card and you need to talk to someone, there'll be some pastors down here after the service. Love to give you a few minutes. This is a great church if you're looking for a church. This is a great church to come to. It's got great pastors, it really has. Great people. All right, nearly done. One last prayer. If you're here today and you say, I'm right in the middle of something your message was good for me because I'd given up. I thought God had forgotten because it didn't happen like I thought it would. And you say, I just want fresh faith to arise in me but my God will make a way where there seems to be no way. I'm going to trust him without knowing, seeing who, when, how. I'm just going to stand and say, I believe. If that's you, just stand to your feet and I'm going to pray for you tonight. If you're in the middle of a situation, you don't know which way to turn. You don't know how God's going to do what he said he's going to do. Listen, God never gave you guarantees he'd tell you how. He just said he would. Come on, there's about three or four others. Don't let pride rob you of something God's doing. Pride's rubbish, it really is. Pride will get you killed and laugh at you when you're dying. Pride's not your friend. That's beautiful. couple more moments. and We're just going to pray and we're just going to say that our God will make a way where there seems to be no way there's people standing for financial situations there's people standing for relational situations there's people standing for health I sense that hey he mends, he restores he gives he, he, he's awesome God is awesome he amazes today you know he, the way he healed that blind person the deaf person Lazarus out of the tomb floating axe heads parting oceans this is our God He's unlimited. Father, I pray for each of these men and women that are standing right now. Father, I won't make light of any situation because you don't make light of it. Real things that people are going through. Lord, you've heard them cry out. You've heard them weep. You've heard them cry. You've heard them shout, not knowing what to do next. Lord, and the point is you heard father you heard every person that cried out in that dark night that moment of confusion father i want to thank you that i can't stand here and say how who and when but i can speak over their lives that my god will make a way where there seems to be no way he works in ways you cannot see my god will make a way I'm just believing, Father, that you're making a way right now for these situations that seem impossible. These situations that seem like there's no way out, that they're dead ends. Lord, you're making a highway. You're making a way. Father, I pray for hope to begin to rise in the hearts of each and every one of these men and women. That as they leave tonight, something would be more hopeful within them. That your promise would be loud in their heart. Father, I stand in agreement with each and every man, woman and child standing right now. And I say, my God, would you break in to these situations? Would you break in? Would you make a way where there seems to be no way? Would you begin even this week to start to turn some things around in such a way that no man gets any glory or the glory goes to you, God? Forgive us for when we got angry or disappointed or disillusioned because it wasn't how we thought. God, we lay all that down and say we're sorry, Father. We choose today as men and women, sons and daughters, to trust you and the promises that you've given us. I just speak a blessing on every home and every family that's trusting you today. In Jesus' name, amen.